Dark waters lay before them, dark forces came behind. To the left and right, the desert brought panic to their minds. The evil of that hour was stronger than the sun that beat on them with nowhere left to run. The chariots of Egypt drew nearer as they cried. Yet Moses stood there calmly with a fearless faith inside. He said there is a power far greater than the sword. Stand still and you will witness a mighty salvation from our Lord. And then the Red Sea parted, for now there was a way to enter in rejoice.
Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Romans eight, twenty six and 27. We are Pastors Ray and Jan Greenley of the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Living Water. Today, we need the Holy Spirit to intercede for us as we share this time together. Our Father, we come in the name of Jesus, and we plead that today you would cause the Holy Spirit to bring light to the mind and heart of each person who will listen to this broadcast. Lord, there is such darkness over the face of the American Christian Church. Lord, would you cause your Holy Spirit to intercede for us today? Would you cause your Holy Spirit to bring the light of Jesus to our hearts and to our minds? Lord, would you do a new work? Would you bring revival power today with the conviction of sin and the turning of men's and women's hearts back toward the true gospel of grace? Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Two emails came this morning, and frankly, they are typical of many of the responses we receive. Our first listener writes, I have listened to your broadcast, and I see right through your supposed quote-unquote grace message. It is actually legalism you teach in order to be saved. You are teaching the same thing that Paul condemns in Galatians. You are teaching that faith is not enough, that a person's life has to become reformed, which is just another clever way of adding works for salvation. What you are really saying is that a person must not only put his faith in the gospel message, but his life must also show a changed life in order to be saved. In other words, the cross of Christ was not enough. We must add something to it. I believe Paul has some strong words for those who pervert the gospel message. Galatians 3, 1-5 Our second listener writes, I heard your sermon this morning. I came away troubled. You were talking about sin, and if you lived in sin, you would not inherit the kingdom of God. Christians sin every day. No one is perfect. So are you saying that if you die with a sin in your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God? What if I coveted someone's sports car And immediately after that thought, I was killed instantly in a car accident. 
What about that? Would I not inherit the kingdom of God? I thought Jesus died for past, present, and future sins. So you don't believe in once saved, always saved? You believe that salvation can be taken away? Thank you for your response. We're going to respond to these two emails today by doing a broad sweep of Scripture. We're going to share with you, first in the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter. Let's stop and think for a moment. The gospel message. Whose gospel is it? Is it your gospel? Is it Paul's gospel? No. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must go first to Jesus, understand what he was saying about the gospel. What is this good news that he brought by dying on the cross? How do we enter into that good news? And then after we understand a part of what Jesus is saying, then we go to the other writers of Scripture. Remember, all of the writers of Scripture have to be interpreted by what Jesus said and what Jesus believed. So in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate or the suffering gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small or groaning is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so the question is asked, was the cross enough? And the answer is, absolutely not. There's much more than the cross. The cross opened the way for us. The blood shed there was the atonement that opened for us the way to heaven. But then we must appropriate that gift. Now, it doesn't really matter what Pastor Ray and Jan believe. It doesn't really matter what you believe. What matters is the truth what Jesus taught, what the writers of Scripture taught. Some of these comments are are quite shocking. What you're really saying, this one writer says, is that a, a person must not only put his faith in the gospel message, but his life must also show a changed life in order to be saved. In other words, the cross of Christ was not enough. And they're saying that's legalism. What troubles me so about this is that these beliefs have become commonplace through the body of Christ. And so Jesus is just up front saying to us in Matthew seven thirteen that there's a narrow gate that we have to enter through. So my question is, what is that narrow gate and what is that suffering gate? We find that in Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So Jesus is saying, If you really want to follow me, you can't just accept me. You can't go forward and say a little sinner's prayer. You can't accept the wonderful gift of salvation and add that to an already full life. He's saying, No, if you're going to follow me, You have to deny yourself, and you have to take up your cross and follow me. Is Jesus a legalist? He's saying that there is something more than his cross. He's saying there is self-denial. He's saying that we must take up our cross. 
Well, obviously, there's only one reason why we would take up our cross, and that's to die. A cross is an instrument of death. And so Jesus is saying, if you're going to enter into this salvation that I am offering to you as a free gift, you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross and follow me to Golgotha. And there you must be crucified. Well, is that teaching only the teaching of Jesus? Or did the Apostle Paul pick up that same teaching? Let's go to the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. This is after he has explained in detail how to be made righteous. And now he says in chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, it is entering into that death that opens the door for us to live a new life. Now, if you have not entered into that door, if you have not entered in the narrow gate, if you have not been crucified, if you still live in the passions of your heart and you still walk in sin, you have not yet been saved. You have not been born again and you have been deceived. He continues in verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Paul is saying, look, if you're going to enter into this kingdom of God, if you're going to enter into this salvation that is freely given, you're not going to continue sinning. You've been freed from that sin because you've been crucified. You died. And so verse 11, he says in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. So is the Apostle Paul a legalist? He's saying there is something you must do. There is a work that you must enter into. Now, we're going to discover that this work is not anything of the law. It is all of the Holy Spirit. We do not enter into the kingdom of God by our works. We enter in first as a gift of grace through justification. Then we enter through a gift of a second grace, the work of sanctification, and then we enter even more deeply into service as the Holy Spirit is poured out in Pentecost power. Verse 16, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, 
whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans six eighteen twenty two and 23. Paul is saying that we have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. Look at chapter 7, those first verses. Paul speaks about the law of marriage, that as long as a man and a woman are married, they're bound one to another. But if the man dies, the woman is free to marry. In the same way, if we die to the law, the death sets us free. And so let's read together Romans 7, 4 to 6. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. And so we find Paul saying, that he's not under the law anymore. He's been set free from the law. And he's set free by entering into that death, confession of sin and crucifixion. That's the way God deals always with our sin. Let's look at Romans, the eighth chapter. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, 
Your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The Apostle Paul is speaking to brothers. That is, he is speaking to Christians. And he says, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. So if you live in sin, you will die. You will not enter into the kingdom of God. There is a requirement that if you enter into the kingdom of God, you must enter through that narrow gate, that suffering way. You must be crucified. You must die. And you must be a new creature in Christ Jesus. And you must not walk in sin. Now, the popular belief is, and I hear it constantly, even from the man who would answer all the questions about the Bible, they all say, oh, all Christians sin. No, all Christians do not sin. They're walking in victory and in power through the mighty presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and they're not walking in sin. They're walking righteous and holy before God. They're walking in the Spirit. They're walking in victory. This victory can belong to you. This pure heart can belong to you. But if you're going to have it, you're going to have to be crucified. You're going to have to die, and you're going to have to give up your old way of life. Now, one dear man, I'm always trying to talk with him about Jesus he claims he's a Christian. He claims he's on the on the road to heaven, but he has no interest in the things of Scripture. Your one single focus must be Jesus Christ, him crucified. I'm joining him in that crucifixion. I also have died, and now I'm walking in the newness of life. I'm walking in power and victory in Jesus Christ. Let's look at another Scripture, 1 John 2. Verses 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And so the Apostle John is in perfect agreement with what Jesus said first about the narrow way and the crucifixion. He's also in perfect agreement with the Apostle Paul, who speaks about dying to the law of sin and death, about being crucified. And John then also tells us that if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, remove all sin from us and make us clean, sanctified, holy. 
the Apostle John is saying to us very bluntly, This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So, was Jesus a legalist? Is Paul a legalist? Is the Apostle John a legalist? They all say there is something more than the cross. They all say that there is an entering in that we must do. And when we enter in, there's a dying that must take place. And then there's an absolute repudiation of the world. And he speaks about this in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, where he talks about not loving the world or anything in the world, but turning totally aside from it. And then very quickly, in 1 John, the third chapter, he also addresses this issue. Let's begin reading in verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Let's stop there just a minute, Jan. John is saying something that is very, very startling. He's saying that sin is lawlessness, and that if you're walking in sin, you are under the penalty of the law. In other words, you have stepped back into that place that Paul speaks about in Romans 7, where the law brought forth a spirit of coveting in his heart. And that when that spirit of coveting was in his heart, he was not free from the law. He had to be released from that law, and he says he was released through Jesus Christ, entering into that death. And so now John is saying that no one who continues to sin has either seen him, that is Jesus, or knows him. So today, if you're walking in sin and think that you are okay, you have been deceived. The gospel of Jesus Christ is different than the gospel of the modern American church. If you look carefully at what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said that many false prophets or teachers would come, and you were to know them by their fruit. In other words, their fruit is wickedness, where they teach that you continue walking in your sin, but you're covered by some kind of positional righteousness, and you don't have to worry. That man is committing murder in your soul. You have to turn from that lie, read the scriptures, and understand that there has to be a self-denial. There has to be an entering into that cross of Jesus Christ. There has to be a confession of sin and a renouncing of that sin. There has to be a work of the Spirit that is done in our hearts. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right 
is not a child of God. Today our heart's concern is that you understand the real gospel, that you turn from your sin, that you repent, that you get right with Jesus. John says that no one who is born of God will continue to sin. He says anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Many of you today think you're children of God, but you're not because you're walking in sin. Today, will you pick up your cross and follow Jesus? Will you die to your sin and be made into a new creature, walking in power and victory by the blood of Jesus? So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is telling us in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 16 through 21, you cannot just walk under the law, and call yourself a Christian. You can't walk committing acts of immorality or impurity, going to that pornography. You can't walk that way and call yourself a Christian. Then listen to verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. If you live slipping and sliding always playing off to the wicked side and then confessing and saying, I've got to get it right. If you have no authority and power to stop sinning, it's because you have not entered into Jesus Christ. Once you enter in and are crucified, you are given the power over sin so that you no longer have to walk in it. You are released from the power of the law, and now you are free to serve Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that once you are born again, you will never sin again? Unfortunately, no, it doesn't mean that. As we've shared with you before, you can rebuild, according to Paul and Galatians, you can rebuild those things that you destroyed by becoming one with Jesus Christ. And when you do, you put your salvation in jeopardy. We don't have time to cover all of the scriptures, but yes, you can lose your salvation, and anyone who would say you can't, has been deceived by the enemy. I want to read for you one more passage of Scripture, Galatians, the sixth chapter, verses 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I'm very pleased that someone is troubled by these messages. I pray that you are so troubled that you'll take your Bible and go into your prayer closet 
and determined to read the word and understand what Jesus had to say, what the Apostle Paul had to say, and what the other apostles had to say about this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ that is absolutely free, but will cost you everything. In other words, we're either going to enter into the fullness of that salvation, and that salvation will bring us complete justification, the forgiveness of all past sins. It will also wipe out through sanctification the power of the Spirit, all of the sin that is in my life today, so that I can be holy. He wants you to walk in freedom, completely and totally reformed, a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, his glory.